0: I hate to break up a good thing, isn't it great to be together, (laughs) to fellowship together and thank you worship team, that was a beautiful time of leading us to the throne of grace. So if Jerry was here, I've heard enough of his sermons over the years and online and even when we did attend here for three years, uh, about ten years ago, um, he would say this, good morning church. (laughs) He loves this church. And um, I love watching Jerry and his pastoral heart. He speaks so glowingly of you. And um, over the years, I know in the last few years, we've had a tough journey as a family, losing my father to cancer. uh, Two weeks later, my husband's mother, uh, who lived with us for 17 years. And then uh, last summer, losing my mom and so it's been quite a a difficult journey for us as a family and i know that summit you have been so encouraging and supportive of jerry and not just jerry but our whole family and so i just want to express thanks for that so i'm here and jerry's in the caribbean (laughs) doesn't seem fair (laughs) he's probably on a golf course although he did tell me he was going to watch this live stream i don't know if he is or not hi (laughs) jerry I know that you've been uh, journeying through the book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans, and today we're actually going to dive into the latter part of chapter 8. Jerry asked me to come and speak on this because it speaks of creation groaning. And, uh, and he knows I've been uh, studying, I did a master's degree and did a lot of studying on a theology of creation. Now today, I'm not going to take us down the journey of climate change and all that kind of stuff. What I want us to do, I think the place we need to start is understanding a theology of creation and what God intended for the world, what he intended. So the Christian faith has a great emphasis on the relationship that humans can experience with God through... um, faith in Christ's work of salvation. We sang about that already this morning. We celebrate the healing and restoration that our faith offers to us. But again, as I said, today I invite us to journey through Scripture in recognizing that the good news of the gospel includes more than the reconciliation with humankind and God. Romans 8, and as we will see in other passages, that the message of the gospel brings healing to multiple relationships that were broken, including our relationship with creation. So let's look at Romans 8, starting at verse 18. It does shed light on the fact that creation is groaning. Consider, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility or frustration, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjects it, in hope that the creation itself will be free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For us to understand the Romans 8 passage that I just read, we need to put it into the context of the good news of the gospel. As I recall many trainings of how to share my faith over the years as I was growing up, I was taught that we needed to start by telling people that they were sinners separated from God who needed to believe in the work of Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection. And if we place our trust in his work for us, we can go to heaven. That's kind of a very, you know, Coles Notes version But what I invite us to consider today is that gospel message is incomplete. Because before Christ was our savior, he was creator. And he still is creator and sustainer of all things. So I want us to consider that in order to understand the gospel message, we have to start in Genesis 1 and 2. We have to start at the beginning of creation. The creation account, and this is where the Bible narrative begins, the place where we encounter how God intended the creation to function prior to the impact of sin in the world. The garden narrative, it describes a place of complete harmony, of reciprocal reciprocal respect and an intimacy and relationship between humankind and God, also between male and female, and also with humankind and creation. There's two accounts of uh, the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, and we're not going to read them together, but I I encourage you to reread them if you haven't read them for a long time. They're very different accounts, but the first account in Genesis 1 is intended to be a Hebrew genre of poetry. It, It uses repetitive phrases and patterns. The main idea is not to explain the specifics on how or the timeline of creation, but rather the fact that God speaks and creation is brought into existence. Each part of the creation is pronounced as good. Even everything that crawls on the ground <laughs> was pronounced as good. And Genesis 1:31, God saw all that He had made and it was very good. The, narr- the garden narrative in Genesis 2 highlights the way that God intended creation to function. There's complete unity, reciprocal respect, and an intimacy and in relationship between God and humans, between male and female, and between humans and the rest of creation. There's no shame in the garden, as symbolized through Adam and Eve's nakedness and their walks with God. And even God gave the humankind the responsibility to name all the animals. Just showing that God cared, that humankind connected with all living creatures. All of creation was a piece in this garden narrative in a space where all the physical needs and relational needs are met. God blessed humankind and all living creatures so that they would be fruitful and increase and, and, uh, in number and fill the earth. And the relationship between man and woman was without shame. There was complete partnership in the mandate to have dominion over the creatures. In Genesis 2.15, humankind is given the mandate to Hebrew word abad, which means to work and to serve, and to shamar, to keep guard, observe the creation. That was what I like to call the, the first great commission. Humankind was given this significant role to be image bearers and to be made in the image of God meant to partner with God in caring for his creation. This is about God, this is a quote from, um, from Dave Bookless, who I'll talk about again later. This, uh, about, uh, this is about God calling one part of creation, humanity, to fulfill a specific job description within com- uh, creation. It is a commissioning for the task of reflecting God's just and gentle rule towards the rest of creation. To put it simply, to be in God's image is to care for creation in a godly way. Image bearing is a missiological task, and when humanity fails to reflect God's character and how we care for the earth, we fail to reflect the image of God. That's Dave Bookless, who is uh, the international theologian for Arusha, which is a Christian environmental group. But then, so this is how we, God wanted creation to exist, in a shalom context where all creatures and humankind, male and female, had all of their cares need met. But then we do get to Genesis 3, and we discover the key truths that highlight the relationships that were impacted with original sin, and, or to put it another way, humankind's decision to go against God's instruction in how to function within creation. So there we see broken relationships, yes, between God and humankind. Genesis 3.8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God comes to want to relate with them, to be intimate with them. And what do they do? They hide. Where are they? (laughs) Their intimate, close relationship, the open and trusted relationship with God had been broken. They're ashamed to see God, because eating the forbidden had opened their eyes to good and evil. And going against God's best for humankind created a barrier that caused humans to want to hide from God. This is also, uh, there's also a new emotion of fear that's introduced in in Genesis 3. Genesis 3.10 says, I heard you in the garden, this is Adam speaking, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is evidenced through the hiding in the garden. They try to distance themselves from God. There's also a new emotion of shame, which created a new desire to cover up. Genesis 3:7 says, They realized their nakedness, and so they covered up with fig leaves. It's important, though, that we pause and focus on the male-female implications of sin, which includes a drastic alienation of relationship between men and women. I will make your pains in, in uh, childbearing very severe, and painful labor will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, this is a direct result of sin and not God's original design. Howard Snyder uh, wrote in in the book, Salvation Means Creation Healed, states this, the deepest alienation in the human family appears to be that between man and woman. This is the relational stem cell of all human interactions. It is also the most powerful and volatile alienation because of the force of the sexual drive. The oppression and degradation of women by men in many cultures throughout human history stands as an often unseen and ignored witness to the alienation brought by sin. Clearly, this alienation is still with us as we are reminded daily by sexual, emotional, and physical violence against women in virtually all societies. So there's a concept that's been written about called ecofeminism, that basically argues that there's a correlation between the oppression and domination of women by men and the destructive behavior towards the rest of creation. And this again was not God's intent for creation and how to exist. So again, broken relationship between God and humankind, broken relationship between male and female, and there's another broken relationship, and that's with humans and all of the rest of creation. First, there's a broken relationship with the land. And Genesis 17 to 19 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you you are, and to dust you will return. See, God didn't curse the ground because it deserved it. <laughs> it was a consequence of sin. So what happens in the garden story is disharmony. and I want you to remember that word, disharmony in all these levels of relationship. The, the land suffers as a result of the actions of humanity. And Hosea chapter four, verse one to three gives us a glimpse of this. Hosea says this: "Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, because of the activity of humankind, the land dries up, and all who live in it wastes away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are all swept away. And we think extinction of animals is a new thing, <laughs> this was happening way back then. The words of Hosea seem to echo the command of Genesis 1 where the humans are to reflect God's image in ruling considerably over the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. But here is human failure to reflect God's image that brings ecolo- ecological disaster. And you know, it's, it's a truth saying that when the land suffers, humans suffer another quote i want to give you um well let's go back you know, the, the quote quote across the globe communities are facing unprecedented environmental challenges the assault is mournfully obvious in terms of what is happening to forests grasslands water resources rainfall and clim- climatic patterns wildlife and bird populations and soils the situation is urgent if not critical, and these problems converge to cause greater hardship for people. They perpetuate poverty, hunger, heightened competition among ethnic groups, civil unrest, disease, and even deaths. This is the reality that happens, and in a lot of the cases, it's the impoverished countries that suffer the most because they don't have the abilities to adapt. So Let's go back to Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. What does that mean? In other words, creation is longing for the children of God to live into their calling to serve and preserve the earth, to lovingly care for creation that God so desperately loves. Here, I think Paul is implying that the revelation of the children of God awaits a future resurrection, but he also affirms in previous verses in chapter 8 that we have already been adopted as God's children and already are expected to live like it. Now, if the entire creation longs to see us become who we were called to be, to have our status as God's children revealed, that our lives even now ought to start to begin to be orientated toward creation in a way that is in keeping with God's ultimate purposes. We ought to live in a way that is consistent with creation's eventual freedom from fertility and ruin when all things are made new. Paul understood a gospel uh, for all creation. He also wrote in Colossians Chapter 1, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, speaking of Christ. For in him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's interesting in this passage, in the original language that this was written in, the word to reconcile is a Greek word called apokatalos. It means to bring back to a former state of harmony. Remember, we've learned the disharmony that came as a result of humankind rejecting God's ways. Christ wants to restore that harmony. He wants to bring everything back to its original state of harmony. So when we read these passages such as this, we are given the vision that Christ's work of redemption includes restoring all of creation back to the state of harmony that was present in the creation narrative. The church is called to join Christ by the power of his spirit to engage in the work of reconciliation, not just the broken relationship between humankind and God, but of all creation. We're called to be peacekeepers, to seek to be restorers and healers, to be agents of reconciliation for all that was broken. A few years ago, I had the privilege to spend some time with Dave Bookless, who I've quoted a couple of times this morning. He lives in the UK, in England, and as I said, he's the International Director of Theology for Arosha. And he tells the story of being in an East African country, of a nation that uh, uh, was having a national conference, but is in East Asia, East um, Africa, sorry. And he, he tells the story that the pastors there were discussing the fact that 80 to 85% of people in their country claim to be followers of Christ and attend church regularly. But however, their country, as they were discussing, is still rife with so many issues, corruption at so many levels. Domestic abuse, extreme poverty, wildlife endangerment, and and environmental degradation. Still one of the most vulnerable countries in Africa with HIV AIDS. And on on and on, they began to list these issues. The reality of their, their Christian country. And so they were discussing, how is this possible if we live our faith? If Jesus is to be Lord of our lives, how are these things still so rife in our country? So they turned to my friend Dave and they said, Dave... The missionaries brought us too small of a gospel. The missionaries brought us too small of a gospel. So as the church, it is time for us to embrace a more holistic gospel, one that recognizes that the redeeming work of Jesus is for more than just humans' relationship with God. Isaiah 11 11 describes a future vision of what a reconciled creation looks like a place where uh, wild animals and children coexist. It is uh, interesting to note that in Genesis 9, it's an interesting one, you know the Noah story, the story of Noah, the ark, the saved animals, and the flood. And after the flood subsides, we read about the rainbow that was a sign of a covenant. Now, my kids' ministries teachers, when I was growing up, they always talked about this covenant that God made with Noah. But do you know, in chapter 9, 6 times it repeats this, that God made a covenant, not just with Noah, but with every living creature. Six times it states that, that God didn't just covenant with Noah, he covenanted with every living creature, that he would not destroy the earth again by flood. And it's at this point in the biblical narrative that God actually puts the fear of man into animals. Could it be that Isaiah 11, that talks about, again, wild animals and children playing together, could it be that God will remove that fear and we can coexist in peace and harmony again with creation? Isaiah 65 also depicts the new heaven and the new earth as a place where there is no injustice, where physical needs are met and where all relationships, including with animals, are restored and at peace. Revelation 21 gives us a description of a new heaven and a new earth coming down from heaven, and the sinful and evil order of things will pass away. This description invites us to envision heaven here on earth, a purified, restored, and healed earth. Changed? Yes. Because of the impact of sin will no longer be felt. Relationships between humanity and God, humans with one another, and humankind with all other creatures will be reestablished to God's original design. And I believe that our eschatology, our belief in the future uh, belief, it impacts how we live day to day. If we truly believe that when Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom here on earth, that it will include a restored creation. And so if we believe that it must impact how we live today. So doesn't Romans eight give us a vision of great hope? and imagination for what Christ wants to restore. He wants to release creation from groaning. He wants to bring healing and reconciling to all things, a place of shalom, of wholeness and restoration. Now, living out this message will nurture redemptive behaviors in us and deter us from actions that are destructive towards the earth, its resources and its creatures. So every act that, we, um, that seeks to bring healing, dignity, sustainability, and wholeness are foretastes of God's kingdom, which Jesus will establish when he returns. What hope is that? And we as the church, I like to say that we are almost like a movie trailer. Um, how we live out the the kingdom principles of what we hope for will be ultimately realized when Jesus returns, we live into that now. And so that's why we should care about these things. My personal commitment is to do my part to live out this reimagined gospel message in my own home, in my community, and sphere of influence. And I invite you, Summit, to do the same, that you would... See, this is a message of hope, of restoration, of healing for all that is broken. Let's pray.